We've started this series, The Words of Jesus, and our goal in this series is to walk through some of the tougher things that Jesus says and, and to chew on them and to, to find out what they mean because I think sometimes for a lot of us, whether you've been a, a believer a long time or a, you're a fairly new believer, is that we read some things that Jesus says and we go, what, is, what does that mean? I don't even know. And so um, we've... Uh, Specifically, as we sought the Lord, we've picked out some passages that are a little bit harder, a little bit more difficult for us to chew on, and um, one today is, is no different. Sometimes when we start talking about lust, we it becomes the, the, the elephant in the room that everybody's like, whoa, 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 time out, we don't talk about that in church. Um, Jesus did. So here we are, okay? Um, and so uh, we're walking through this, we if you, we posted a video on social media this week of me explaining through the Beatitudes, um, and then um, uh, we walked through what it meant for us to be salt and light, and then we even last week unpacked what does it mean for, for God to, to, to fulfill the law, and he's going to continue on that today in some of the statements that he makes, and we're going to see that, and this week I'll release a video on social media, and we'll probably email it out about um, anger as well, and what he says there, and so... Uh, will be in our text today. But I want to ask you before we jump in, uh, have you ever tried to discipline yourself to do something? Anybody? How many of you failed? Oh, okay, well, well, time out. That was like half of you said you tried and then all of you said you failed. So, uh, <laughs> right, we, we've all been there, haven't we? We tried to discipline ourselves in something and then we, we failed miserably at it. Right, we start maybe maybe it's a New Year's resolution. How many of you are like, you know, four weeks into your New Year's resolution, you're like, man, I've I've already, I've I've blown it. Like, just forget it. None of you are gonna admit that, right? Okay, yeah, we we all do it, right? Well, here's the here's the thing about discipline for all of us is that discipline is hard. It's not easy. That that's literally the definition of the word, right? To to dis discipline yourself, to put yourself under some type of change to bring about a transformation, right? That's the whole goal of discipline. And the, the, the root word of discipline is what? Disciple, right? To, to, to discipline yourself means that you are a disciple of something, whatever it is. Well, those of us that have chosen to follow Jesus and give our whole life to him, we are called to discipline ourselves towards that end towards the end of pursuing him and, and letting him change and transform who we are. And so our aim is simple this, this morning. It says this, a disciple is committed to strive for a clean heart. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know what that means. All right, well, we're going to unpack that. A disciple is committed to strive for a clean heart. We talked about it a little bit last week about how the, the, the heart of who we are, that's the the, the internal, the will, the spirit of who we are, that's Jesus' aim. He's here to transform and change our hearts. Okay? And, and so in our context, Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. His disciples are gathered around him. There's others there. But, but Jesus is talking to those who um, are putting their trust. They're following Jesus, saying, hey, I'm in. I'm following you. And he's going to say something in, in verse 27. Let's look. You have heard that it was said. Okay, let's just stop right there. He says, you have heard that it was said. 
okay? Jesus is quoting what? The, good job, the Old Testament, right? You have heard it said, okay? So he's not saying it's wrong. He's not negating it. He's just saying you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh. So, so wait, wait, wait. Jesus is at, well, well, I'm, I'm not, here's what's going on. Is Jesus is getting at the heart of the commandment, right? Because here's what's happened. The, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders of the day had gotten to a point where as long as I don't get into the physical act of adultery, I'm good. I'm clean. Right? I'm not doing that, so I'm good. And, and, and that's, that's a great lie of the enemy. As long as I'm not doing the physical act of it, I'm golden. I'm doing great. Look at me. I am fantastic. But what Jesus is saying here is that no, the act is not where it starts. It starts in our hearts. It starts in the core of who we are. And if you don't address it there, then guess what it will eventually lead to? The physical act of it. That's what he says. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, I know y'all are all wondering about poking out eyes and all of that. We're going to get there, okay? So, breathe, right? we got to unpack this first part. So, when, when Jesus begins to talk about adultery, um, the, the, the word adultery is to commit an act with a woman outside of marriage or a man with outside of marriage, right? That's the act of adultery, okay? So, what is he really getting at? What is Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about the sanctity of marriage here. He's talking about the importance of those of us that are married, but, but we're going to, so time out. If you're not married, if you're a widow this morning, if you're single, this is for you too. Don't check out, okay? And if you've already checked out, our tendency to check out when we have a topic like this is go, I'm good, I don't deal with that. No, wrong. Check in, because this is going to be big for all of you, okay? It's going to, every single one of us in here, it's going to hit us to the core this morning, okay? But what Jesus is getting at is the, the sanctity and the purity of marriage here, okay? And here's how that plays out for you and I, okay? When we, when we enter into a, a marriage, okay? When I chose on October 22nd, 2009, to say I do to my wife Logan who's in the nursery I said I do to her and by saying that I said no to everyone else okay by choosing her I'm saying no to everyone else every other woman I'm saying no to because I'm saying yes to her okay and when I enter into that relationship Okay, before God and make that commitment, I am making and entering into a covenant relationship with her. 
So what that then means then is that I don't go looking somewhere else. Because here's why. In a covenant relationship, the relationship always matters more than what I get. Okay? So let me try to illustrate that for you. When there's a decision to be made about me going and fly fishing, okay? Love fly fishing. It's a, it's a hobby. It's, some of you know that. Like, I love to go fly fishing. When there's a decision that has to be made about me going to do that as a husband and as a father, right? If that decision is going to negatively affect my wife and I's relationship because I'm leaving to go do something I want to do, my decision is easy in a covenant relationship. My decision is, it's going to harm the relationship. I'm not fly fishing. Done. I'm in this relationship. The relationship is more important than my pleasure or what I want to do. Okay? In a covenant relationship, as a husband, as a wife, that's how that works. The relationship is more important than what I get. When we deal with pornography, men, women, statistics show us that women now are, are just as susceptible and just as um, prone to, to view pornography as men are. That's the culture we live in. But, but what happens is, is that when I make the choice Okay, in the covenant relationship, I, 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 I'm tempted by this. The world tempts you all the time. Okay, you, you, you I, my phone's over there. But it, like, if you pick up your phone, you're tempted by it. If you get on a computer, you're tempted by it. It's there, it's present everywhere. But when I'm tempted by it, I have to remember the covenant relationship I'm in with my wife. This is more important. This relationship is more important than what I get. That's how a covenant relationship works. Okay? This is the essence of what Jesus says when he says, hey, do not commit adultery. But don't even look. Because when you look, you lust. We're going to get to the word lust in a minute. But, but you, you look, you lust, and it, it creates this pathway that we go down. Covenant relationship, the relationship's more important than what I get. Okay, we got that? The problem is, is that in our society, in our culture, we may have entered into a covenant relationship, but we oftentimes treat it like a consumer relationship. That what I get is more important than the relationship. Right? What I get is more important than the relationship. So if you're not giving me, if I'm not getting what I want, deuces, I'm out. Or if I'm not getting what I think I deserve or what I want, I'm going to go somewhere else. And I'm going to find it over here. I'm going to find it in pornography or I'm going to find it in another person. Or I'm going to find it in, in my work or I'm going to find it in 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 money or I'm going to find it in hunting or I'm going to find it in fishing I'm going to chase after something else if you're not giving me what I want you see how that works what I get is more important than the relationship 
Completely contrast, right? Let me illustrate it for you. Sorry, Katie. Um, Taylor Swift um, <clears throat> has, has a song called Blank Space. And, and I think it, it kind of sums up this consumer relationship mentality for most of us in our culture. Because here's the thing. So many people, even in the church, compare their marriage to the world. And say, man, my, my marriage doesn't look like everybody else's in the world. It shouldn't. It should be followed by this right here. Does my marriage honor God? Does my marriage make us more holy than it does happy? And so here it is. Taylor Swift says this. So it's going to be forever. Oh, it's going to go down in flames. You can tell me when it's over. The high was worth the pain. Got a long list of ex-lovers. They'll tell you I'm insane. Because you know I love the players and you love the game. Some of you that are young are singing this in your head. Okay? Because we're young and we're reckless. We'll take this too far. It'll leave you breathless or with a nasty scar. Got a long list of ex-lovers. They'll tell you I'm insane. But I've got a blank space, baby, and I'll write your name. That is the epitome of the consumer relationship that so many people find themselves in in a marriage. What I get is more important than the relationship. And so when Jesus says here, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery within his heart. He is being as serious as you can imagine about the sanctity and the purity of marriage and the covenant relationship you entered in. It is vital for your life. And here's why. Because he uses this word lust here. Lustful intent. This word lust, when you take a deep dive into the Greek, um, it, is a, it is a thirst. It is a longing for. How many of you, like, like there's things that, you, man, you just, you hunger for? Nobody? Just me? Okay. You thirst for, right? That's the idea of the word lust, okay? To long for something, to thirst after something. So then you, you, if you start studying, you take a deeper dive, deeper dive. Ultimately, lust, okay, is closely associated and tied with greed, which is then closely, and so, uh, closely associated and tied to idolatry. So this is where lust leads. Lust goes from, from I want it to I have to have it, and then it leads to I worship it. Did you see that progression? You're like, yeah, Brady, but that's not me. Time out. Time out. What's, what's the goal of a disciple? Committed disciples committed to what? Striving for a clean heart. We have to acknowledge along the way how it happens. Right? And so lust, I have to want, I want, I want it to greed, I've got to have it to idolatry, I worship it. Right? So, so then I begin to unpack greed and go, okay, well, lust is the look and the, I want that, that's going to make me happy, all of those things. But then you go the next step to greed. 
I think we understand idolatry to an extent. Okay? Idolatry is what we worship. A thing we give our whole life to. Some of it, for some of us, it's our job. For some of it's our, our families. For some of it, it's getting stuff. Right? Things we worship, we give everything to. Not bad things, but we make them things they're not supposed to be. But, but greed is, is the sneaky one. Greed's the one that we fail to recognize. Okay? And here's what happens. There's some things that greed does three things in our lives, I think. These three things. First, it creates an unhealthy focus. Greed creates an unhealthy focus in us. Okay? Oftentimes, when I say the word greed, what do you think of? Right, money. That's like greed, oh, money. Oh, he's going to talk about money. No, well, time out, okay? Greed plays a lot of things. It's not just money. But so you're thinking that way. Let's just take it there, okay? Greed, money, right? Okay, so it creates an unhealthy focus. How many of us tend to focus and worry about money? The rest of you are lying, okay? We all do, right? We live in a Western culture that constantly inundates us with, you got to have this, you got to have this, you got to have this, right? An unhealthy focus. Greed creates in you and I an unhealthy focus. And you're like, well, what do you mean by an unhealthy focus? You spend your time trying to get it. You spend an, an, an unhealthy amount of time trying to get it. And, and you focus and go, okay, if I can just do this, if I can just do this, if I can just do this, right? right that's what greed does. That's where it starts. And it may not be just about money for you. It may be the fact that maybe maybe you're you're here this morning and you're just you're longing for for something just to change, and you're doing everything in your power to change it, and nothing's happening. But you're devoting all of your time and every effort you have into changing that one thing. That's the crazy thing about greed, right? Maybe you're maybe you're the single mom here who's like, hey. <laughs> I'm just tired of working to the bone. I just want something to happen. And you're constantly focused on one thing of trying to get enough money, trying to get this, trying to get that, trying to get that. And you have yet to just let go and see what God does. Right? So it creates this unhealthy focus in us that we hyper-focus on our circumstance. We hyper-focus on whatever is going on that we miss God altogether. But here's what else it does. Greed then leads to, it causes our brains to fantasize. To think about it. How many of you have ever caught yourself like, if I won the lottery? Right? Like, that, like driving down the road, you see the lottery sign, you're like, man, what would I do with $323 million? Well, I would do this, and I would do this, right? And we start thinking about all the things we will do. Right? And, and, and that's what greed does, is it causes us to fantasize about things. Right? But then, what else does it do? The third thing that I think greed does is it, it encourages selfishness. Right? You go through this progression of, um, I, 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 I create this unhealthy focus, and then I, and then I do, and then I, and then I begin to fantasize about it, and then, and then now I'm, I'm irritated because somebody's interrupting what I'm doing. Right? Logan and I were having this conversation the other day. I'll just simple illustration in my own life. Open book. Okay. 
I love movies. Like it's just one of the things I love. I love I love stories. So let's just start there. I love stories, therefore I love typically good storytelling movies. And I love TV shows and I love those things, right? Here's the thing for me. Logan and I were having this conversation because she was watching a new show. He's like, hey, you got to watch it with me. And I'm like, eh, well, probably shouldn't. And here's why. It's not saying I don't watch TV shows. But here's for me. If, if I get into a TV show, say there's four seasons, right? I get into that TV show, I'm one of those, like, binge watchers. Like, I just want to watch and watch and watch and watch, right? And then what happens, right, is that is it I'll, I'll end the episode, I'm like, man, i got to find out what happens next. I want to know what happened. What's going to happen to him? Like, what's going? This character's developing. I really, I hated this character. Now I love this character. Like, and then my brain begins to like fantasize about what's going to happen next. And then I have to watch it. But then what happens then is that as I'm watching it, and my kids come in and they need something from their father, guess what happens? I get irritated that they're interrupting me, and they're interrupting my time. Right? That's the sneaky thing about grief which is the next step from lust. So you want to talk about Jesus saying, hey, you have a lustful intent for a woman? Same thing happens with pornography, church. Same thing. I see it once, and I need to see it again. And then I need to see it again. And then I need to see it again. And so what happens in our brains, okay, Here's what happens. This happens with lust. It happens with greed. It's the process, okay? And I think it's important for us to understand how our brains work in order to attack it, in order to understand what Jesus is saying here because he's fixing to get even more serious in regard to what he's about to say. But listen, you, you need to see this. Dopamine. Dopamine is key in our brains. And here's what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this and then I'm gonna try to explain it to you so we all understand. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter produced by the hypothalamus, a small region of the brain that helps you feel pleasure. It's an important part in your reward system, the mesolimbic part of your brain, meaning that the brain releases dopamine when you do things that feel good or pleasurable or when you complete a task. Okay? Dopamine also enhances reward-related memories. It strengthens synapses, the junctions where neurons pass messages in the brain's learning and memory center, the hippocampus. Dopamine signaling in areas of the brain that process emotions. The amygdala, thank you. And regions involved in planning and reasoning, the prefrontal cortex also creates emotional associations with rewards. So here's what happens, okay? Whenever you do something pleasurable, okay, your, your brain, your neurons, they fire, okay? And this one fires across to this one that sends a signal that releases dopamine. It says, ooh, I like that. That was fun, right? So every time you do that, there's this... There's this gap between neurons, okay? And in between that gap are what we call synapse. And the more that you do that, the stronger that synapse becomes. So it becomes easier for your brain 
Okay, you've created a pathway now. It becomes easier for your brain to go there. Okay? So here's how that works in your head when you view pornography, when you look at something or your brain is triggered by some visual aspect that you think is going to cause you pleasure. Is that you, you get on and you begin to view pornography. And you're like, oh, that was nice. I like that. Right? It led to pleasure for me. Okay? So now you've created a synapse and you've strengthened these bonds between these two neurons, okay? Which is releasing dopamine. So then the next time you do it, what happens is <clears throat> you're expecting that dopamine rush, okay? But what happens is, this is the crazy fascinating thing, is that if you don't, okay, if, 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 you're, if your expectation of pleasure does not meet how you felt last time, you have to do more to strengthen the synapse. See how that happens? So then each time you go to it, you have to have more, and you have to have more. And there's this thing that we call addiction. And that's how your brain then fires off to create an addiction in the pleasure center of your brain. I gotta have this, I gotta have this, I gotta have this. Now, understanding how your brain works, okay, is like, I gotta have more, I gotta have more, I gotta have more. Let's see what Jesus says. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus is pretty, whoo. All right, preacher, what's he going to say? Listen, Jesus is not here saying self-mutilation is the key. It's not what he's saying. Jesus is using hyperbole. He's using exaggeration to communicate to us the seriousness of a disciple's life. That's what he's saying. Is that it is so serious that you should do everything in your feasible capability to avoid lust at all costs. And here's why. The, the key for all of us, right, is wrapped up in the word that Jesus uses for hell. When he says, cast it off, it's better for one lose a member than for your whole body going to hell. It's better for you to lose a member than your whole body to go into hell. Hell is the key word in this whole passage because Jesus uses the word for hell and it's a word called Gehenna. The word Gehenna is the actual explanation of a place that's outside of Jerusalem where they would burn their trash and it was constantly on fire and it became known in, in, in their time as a place of unquenchable thirst. So here's the key, is that here's the deal for you and I. Where does lust lead? It leads to a place of unquenchable thirst. It always has, and church, it always will. 
The more you lust, the more you want it, the more you want it, the more you want it. The more you look at pornography, the more you have to have it. The more you look at pornography, the more you have to have it. And it will lead to a place of unquenchable thirst. Because all of what you think you have to have was not ever meant to be found in that. Because Jesus says in John chapter 4, speaking to the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Church, I can tell you this. When Jesus talks to you and I about lust, he talks to us about the importance of it and avoiding it at all costs. He's telling us, ultimately, that it leads down a road that will never lead to where you think it's going to lead. So, so what do we do with all of that, right? Great information. It's so true, right? I think we can all agree this morning, this is, this is where lust leads. This is where it does it. It leads to this. And Jesus ultimately says this, right? That, that you, have, you have defiled the covenant relationship when you lust. And as a disciple, you should be committed to strive for a clean heart. Saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure I keep the covenant relationship intact. At all costs. So then how do we do that? Right? I don't want to preach all of that this morning and then go, good luck. Right? I'm really, honestly, the church has done that for a long time. Right? Good luck. Pat you on the back. Well, I think it's found in Romans chapter 12 for us. Romans chapter 12 says this. Starting in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. By the Renewal of your mind. You're going to transform your mind by the renewal of your mind. Like, Brady, that still didn't help me. You just read scripture. Well, here's the deal. Here's the fun thing for you. You ready? The first thing you do to deal with lust, to deal with anything, is you take it to the Father. You pray. Yeah, but Brady, I don't even know where to start. Just tell him how you feel. God, I'm, I'm stuck and I don't know how to get out of this. I need your help. So we pray, okay? We, we read God's word and we think about it, right? Read, do this first thing in the morning, church. Like, get up and pray, read God's word, and then think on it. Whatever's lovely, whatever's pure, whatever's right, whatever's noble, think on these things. So we pray, we read God's word, we find accountability, Right? Women, find someone you can confide in. Women, don't be judgy. 
Men, find someone you can find accountability in. Men, don't be judgy. We're all walking this together. You are not alone. Hear me. You are not alone. If you struggle with pornography, you are not alone. 56% of Americans struggle with it. You're not alone. That's more than half this room. Don't get uncomfortable. You're not alone. So, so we pray, we, we, we think, we meditate on God's word. We find accountability. And here's the last one. Be honest. Be honest. If you fail, you fail. Get back up. Keep striving for a clean heart as a committed disciple. Because here's the beauty in all of this. You know what else significant studies are starting to find? Is it one of the biggest releases of dopamine in our brain? Is when we spend time in prayer and meditation. Interesting. The God of heaven knew it long before science ever did. Church, let's be committed as disciples to strive for clean hearts. Stay committed to our covenant relationships and avoid all that the enemy throws at us because it is important and it is vital to your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, it is so living and active and applicable and relevant for us right now in our lives. Written thousands of years ago, still pierces us through bone and marrow. Father, I pray this morning that that if that your word would go out and accomplish its purpose. Father, that it would open up some doors for some people to finally say, hey, I need some help. I need you, God. God, would you move in this time for your glory?